I think I can speak for most pastors this morning when I say that we have no illusions that people in our congregations hang on every word that we say and every word that we teach and that they could come back weeks later and tell us the theme of any given Sunday morning and the points that were made and how they were to apply it to their lives. We do not have those illusions. And of all the messages that I have heard over my lifetime in churches, and there have been many, I can count four that have really stood out for me. But of the ones that I have done myself, there are two that have spoken the deepest to me. And I'm drawing a lot this morning on one of those messages. So if there's anyone here who might have uh, heard some of that, if there's anyone who's going to be listening later on a website, if you recognize some of this morning's teachings, I wanted to explain that. But more importantly, I guess I wanted to share with you, the congregation I've come to love here at Emmanuel, this particular message because it has meant so much to me. And I've held on to it now for, I think, about three years and prayed it often because it ends uh, with a very risky prayer. So I hope it will challenge you as it has challenged me. Today we have lit the Advent candle of joy. And the candle is pink. But it's not a girly, girly pink candle. It's an Advent candle of joy. And joy is not to be mistaken with that feeling of happiness and being excited that comes in just moments of circumstances that are so often very short-lived. Joy as Christians is so much deeper than that. I was talking with Ruth Tallin this week. Many of you know Ruth. She was a member here at Emmanuel, and she's helping to pastor at First Baptist Truro and out in DeBert, and she is teaching this morning on joy as well. And she told me how in the Old Testament, joy was expressed in feasting and in dancing and in singing, and it came out as a very physical expression of what was happening in one's life. And I think we've lost a lot of that, but we definitely heard some of it this morning, so it's good. But she said how in the New Testament, we've come more to a joy that is centered in God's word through the Holy Spirit in us. And we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace peace and the others. It is, she said, an an emotion that we cannot manufacture. It's manifested in the word of God. It's manifested in the work of God. It's manifested in the world of God. So our joy as Christians is meant to go beyond our circumstances. It's meant to be deeply entrenched in our lives. So this morning we are going to journey with Mary, a journey with her from the day that she's told that she's going to have a child and name him Jesus, right through to Pentecost. So we have quite a journey in a very short time here this morning on the receiving of the Holy Spirit, uh, just before, after rather, Jesus returned to his Heavenly Father. So... We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, but I wanted to hear, let you hear just a little bit from the very first verses as well. Luke was an historian, and biblical scholars are very aware of that, that if they wanted the, the uh, facts that were really researched and researched accurately, they would go to Luke. He would be the one. And even when they've looked at times when they thought, well, maybe Luke just misunderstood or didn't get something quite right, even today they're uncovering things where Luke has once again been proven correct. So the first verses of the Gospel of Luke are not going to be on the screen. I'll read our scripture passage in just a moment. But at the very beginning of Luke's Gospel... He says, and I quote, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. 
They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the earliest disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. End of quote from Luke's Gospel. So from all the evidence, it is felt that Luke interviewed and interviewed the disciples. He interviewed Mary. It wasn't just something that he thought he heard or just some stories that he tried to put together. But a scripture this morning is uh, from Luke 1. is verses 26 to 38. An angel promises the birth of Jesus to Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, But how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. So Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Some translations say, May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. May God bless the reading of his word this morning from Luke's Gospel. It was probably just an ordinary day for Mary. 12 to 14 years old, there in her hometown of Nazareth. She was young. She was a female born into a good ancestry, but probably not a very wealthy family. She was engaged to be married. But really not a lot of value in her life in the eyes of the people. She was just a young girl. But God saw something different. And we don't know what day of the week it was or where Mary was or what she was doing. I don't think we even know whether it was day or night, but the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. And Luke says that Mary was confused and disturbed when she saw the angel. I think that's quite an understatement. I can only begin to imagine. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. One of my professors said, be very, very careful. Sometimes we think we'd like to see an angel. He said, be careful because people's lives are never the same after they see an angel, and Mary's was not either. So Mary's told that she's been chosen to give birth to Jesus, the Son of the Most High, the Son of God himself. And she's told that Jesus will be very great, that he will be given the throne of King David and reign over Israel forever. So I'm sure she heard royalty. I'm going to give birth to a king, a successor to the throne. 
but she's only engaged. She's not yet married. So she said, no, it's not possible. And Gabriel says, yes, it is. It is possible. Your relative Elizabeth, considered long past childbearing years, is expecting as well. God's miracles. That beautiful verse, Luke 1, 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Make it positive. Everything is possible with God. So Mary says those amazing words, may it be to me according to your word. In other words, God, your will be done in my life. So Mary journeys to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth, six months along in her pregnancy, hears Mary's voice, and the baby just leaps in her womb. The baby that Elizabeth was carrying, as I mentioned, was John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit led Elizabeth to say, I am so honored. The mother of my Lord, you are blessed not because of what you have done. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You believe that the Lord would do what he said. It's in scripture. And we have then what is known as Mary's Song of Praise. We call it the Magnificat, a song that's been put to music by composers like Bach and Mozart. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, she sang. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I hope you will read it in Luke 1. Joy and rejoicing. So this is where we're going to backtrack just a bit and then move forward. If Mary could stand here this morning and give her testimony, what would she share about her whole life? Was it a life of joy and rejoicing? What was her story? When Mary said those words, may it be to me according to your word, could anything have prepared her for what was ahead? And that's going to become our challenge this morning. Do we dare to say those words? They're in the Lord's Prayer. We said them together this morning. Your kingdom come, God, and your will be done. Do we mean the words? According to our lives, according to your word, God, in our lives, your will be done. So as we look at Mary's story, let's ask ourselves some questions. We'll do that as we go along. So backtracking to Mary and her engagement to Joseph, in that day being engaged was the same commitment as being married. So ending it actually required a divorce. So as she makes her way to find Joseph and tell him all about this visit from Gabriel, surely she must have been thinking, well, God, you've gone to Joseph as well. He's going to be my husband. I'm going to get there and find that Joseph already knows. That's, that's my thinking into scripture. But Joseph does not know. So Mary would have had to look into Joseph's face as she tells him this news that she's expecting. And by law, he could divorce her. He could even have her stoned. And we don't get the conversation in Scripture, but Mary had to leave there and go back home and wait. And wait while her fiancé first decides that he doesn't want to disgrace her publicly. He decides he's going to break the engagement quietly. She has to wait until God tells Joseph in a dream that it's okay. Take Mary as your wife. We don't know how long that was. What did Mary go through during that time? Could she hear Gabriel's words, Mary, don't be afraid? How could she not be afraid? Was she able to pray, God, I am afraid, but I'm your humble servant. May it be done to me according to your word. So challenge number one for us this morning, when you and I are afraid, will we pray, but your will be done, Lord? In my life, according to your will, let it be done to me. 
And then came the announcement of that law by Augustus, a census to be taken. These happen periodically. We have them in historical documents. But Mary must have asked, why now? It meant going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about 128 kilometers carrying their own food, their clothing, those long strips and squares of cloth because she was going to give birth to a baby before they got back. Did she say, Joseph, I can't do it. I'm due to have a baby. And over those 128 kilometers, I wonder which was worse for her at times, trying to walk or to get on the back of a donkey. Did Mary question God's timing? Did she pray, Lord, if I am favored, if I am blessed, as you said, why do I have to make this difficult journey? And was she able to say again, but I'm your humble servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Challenge number two for us. When we are following God's will, but the timing and the circumstances seem all wrong, will you and I pray your will be done in my life according to your will, Let it be done to me. So Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem only to find that there's no room for them, no place to stay. Did Mary cry out, God, I didn't expect this. I'm going to give birth to the ancestor of King David, to his throne, to the Son of God. Surely not here. God, can't you intervene? Do I have to be in this place? Do I have to lie my baby, your son, in a feeding trough, a manger? And then the shepherds came, and they had seen an angel, and then they saw a whole host of angels, and they came to worship the baby. So Mary must have been reminded that night of her angel, Gabriel. Was she reminded of her response to him? I am God's humble servant. Be it done to me, according to what you said. Challenge number three, when we expect bigger and better answers to our prayers... Well, we pray, Lord, this is not what I expected. This is not the way I would have done it. But your will, Lord, in my life, according to your will. And on the eighth day, according to the Jewish law, Mary and Joseph have Jesus circumcised, and they arrange to make the required payment to the priests. It was called a redemption of the firstborn son. It was a payment back to God for the gift of a son. But the cost, the equivalent of a month's pay. And then after 40 days of purification required for a woman after giving birth, they go to the temple, they make the sacrifice of a pair of doves or two young pigeons, the sacrifice for those who could not afford a lamb. I'm going to stop. (laughs) Joanne, (laughs) last night there was Val having a a hoot of a time trying to offer people, would you like a a dove? Would you like a dove? Would you like a dove? And I said, they're in the service this morning. So So it was the sacrifice of the poor people to give those two doves as a sacrifice uh, for their son. If you'll permit me to make some assumptions here, did Mary pray, Lord, we're poor. Joseph and I are here. We're in Bethlehem. He's not earning any income while we're here. I don't know where we're going to find the money, but I'm your humble servant. Be it done to me according to what you've said. Challenge number four for us. We are following God's will, but we don't have the money. 
and we don't have the resources that we think we need, when economically things just don't line up as we think they should, will you and I say, give me wisdom, Lord, and your will be done. In my life, according to your will, let it be done to me. Then the Magi, the wise men, come to worship the child king, and they come bearing gifts. They come bearing gold. That's a gift fit for a king. They bring frankincense. That would be a gift for a priest. And they bring myrrh, which would be a gift for someone who is to die, used for embalming. Did something trigger in Mary's heart when she saw that? Did that take away any of her joy? And these men were supposed to return to Herod and tell him where to find the child. When Herod finds out that he's been deceived, he orders that all the male babies under age two be killed. And Mary and Joseph are warned by God to flee by cover of night into Egypt. And living in Egypt, in a foreign culture so far from home, so far from friends and family and support, did Mary cry out, God, what are we doing here? How long do we have to stay here? But I'm your humble servant. May it be done to me as you have said. Challenge number five. When we are following God's will, but God takes us to places that are strange, uncomfortable, far from all that we know and love, will you and I say, here I am, and here I will stay until you call me from here to another place. We already heard Ken and Michelle say that this morning. Will we say to our God, according to your will, as you have said, be it done. To add a little bit of humor to all this, as the years go on, Mary and Joseph have a family. Jesus has brothers and sisters. For some of you who have two and three and four children, I wonder what it was like that one of your children was Jesus. How do you raise Jesus along with other boys and girls? And in that trip to Jerusalem where they took him the, the annual feast of the Passover, and that year Jesus was 12, and they realize on their way home that Jesus is not with them, they've lost the Son of God. I can't imagine. <laughs> they go all the way back and they say to Jesus, we have been searching for you with great anxiety. Yes, we can feel the humor and the anxiety that Mary and Joseph must have experienced trying to raise Jesus in their home. How many times did Mary pray, Lord, I'm inadequate to this. I'm having a hard time. But be it done to me according to what you've said. Not a challenge this time, maybe permission. As with so many characters in our Bible, we too had the permission to say, Lord, I am so inadequate to this. I can pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done, but I'm having a hard time saying it and meaning it. God understands. As Mary's story continues, Jesus leaves home to begin his ministry, and like any parent, it must have been hard to say goodbye to him. But news starts to come back that Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, that he's preaching, he's teaching, he's doing miracles, crowds are following him, and then he comes back home for a visit. And they're so happy to see him. And Mary must have been so proud of her son as he preaches that morning in their hometown temple. But the people, her neighbors, her friends, don't like what he says. And they run him out of town and they try to kill him. And she must have wondered, how am I going to live here now? How am I going to face my neighbors from now on? 
And then more news comes back. And Jesus is breaking the Jewish laws and he's eating with outcasts and he's touching unclean lepers and he's forgiving people's sins and he's defiantly arguing with Pharisees and religious leaders. And the opposition is growing against him and John the Baptist has been beheaded. And Mary must have wondered, what's going to happen to my son? So Mary takes her other sons and they try to get to Jesus because he needs to come home. This is insanity. But the crowds are so large they can't get to him. They only send a message in. They want him to come out. But Jesus does not give up his ministry. He does not return home to be safe. Are we starting to hear any doubt in Mary now? Is Mary starting to regret that promise she made to Gabriel? Does she want to check out? Does she want to play it safe? And then Mary's worst fears are realized. She sees her son, beaten beyond recognition, nailed to a cross. This is her boy. And Jesus looks down from the cross at his mother and at his disciple John. And he says, John, take her as your mother now. And she says, Mother, let John be your son now. And Mary must have wanted to cry out, No, I don't want John as my son, Jesus. I want you. What's happening? We can't begin to understand what Mary must have been experiencing. Was she still able to believe Gabriel's words that Jesus would be the Son of God, greatest among men, known as the Son of the highest God, given the throne of David, born to reign over the world? He's on a cross. She asked Gabriel, how is he to be born? She must have been asking now, how can any of it be true? He's dying. It's all over, Lord. And I don't understand. Challenge number six for us. When we are following God's will, but what he has called us to appears to be coming to an end. And we can't see a way out. Or when our hopes and our dreams appear to be ending in failure, Will you and I still say, Be it unto me, Lord, according to your will and to your word? Well, it was not finished. And it was not a failure. And God had meant what he had said through Gabriel. And Mary had not misunderstood. We have no conclusive evidence of Mary's presence at Jesus' resurrection, of where she was on that first Easter Sunday, but the risen living Jesus appeared to his disciples, he appeared to 500 of his followers, he appeared to James and all the apostles, I'm sure he must have appeared to his mother, and Luke records in the book of Acts that Mary was there at Pentecost when the house shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and given power. A challenging question for us. Do we believe this morning that the power of the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is the power that God wants you and I to have? Do we believe this morning that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus promised us as an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, a teacher, is with us and is guiding us and is interceding for us? So I'm just going to run through the challenges quickly one more time. And we have to face people, people who don't believe us, who criticize us, people who cause us to be afraid, when the timing and the circumstances seem all wrong, when we expect bigger and better answers to our prayers, when we are poor and don't have enough money, don't have the resources we need, but we're being called anyway, when God sends us where we never planned to go, 
and we find ourselves far from home and lonely with no support, when we know we are just completely inadequate to the task, when we start to doubt, when our faith starts to waver, when it all looks and feels like a total failure, will we believe and know this morning that the victory has been won from the manger of Christmas to the cross of Good Friday to the resurrection of Jesus alive on Easter morning to Jesus' return to his glory and until he returns again it is not our plan it is God's plan will we believe and know this morning that we can say those words thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth in us as it is in heaven your will be done Lord in my life according to your will whatever that might look like wherever that might take me let it be done to me where we find the joy of saying yes to God. Maybe this morning is the first time for you and he's saying to you, just trust me, invite me into your heart, believe in me and let me be Lord. Maybe it's a time this morning in your life for recommitment. Maybe it's a call in your life to a brand new journey. Will you and I have the joy on this Advent Sunday of joy? Will we have the joy of saying yes to God because we know we can have the deep joy of absolute confidence in God no matter what? Let's pray. God, thank you for the Advent candle of joy. Confidence, trust. a peace that goes beyond all understanding, a joy that goes beyond all understanding when it doesn't make sense in the circumstances. But God, you just want to fill us with yourself and the absolute assurance that you are with us, you are walking beside us, you have gone ahead of us, your glory is our rear guard, and you walk beside us holding our hand. Thank you for that joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.